Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of I, One, Two, the podcast that spotlights important role players from your favorite professional teams and their journey to becoming a champion. When you think of the 2002 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, names like Warren Sapp and Keyshawn Johnson probably come to mind and how they led the franchise to its first Super Bowl title. But today's guest played an important role for the Bucs that season, adding size and strength at the tight end position. Drafted 48th overall in 1995 out of the University of Illinois, he spent 10 seasons in the National Football League, including seven with the Indianapolis Colts, before signing with Tampa Bay in 2002. He tallied 329 yards receiving and two touchdowns that season, adding 88 yards receiving in the postseason en route to a 48-21 win over the Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl 37. So let's get right to it and speak with today's guest, Ken Dilger. What was it like growing up in southern Indiana? What's the local football scene like there? You know what? I'm from a very small town called Mariah Hill. And in that general area, there's a lot of small towns that kind of feed into one high school. I think there's probably 10 or 11 small towns that go into Heritage Hills High School. And we've had probably five or six NFL kids come out of that high school. Uh, Myself, Jay Cutler, and some other guys who have kind of bounced around the NFL years ago. It was a fun school. It was a small school. It was a 3A school, so about... 600 kids, a top four classes, so you got to know everybody. But, uh, you know, I played three sports, football, basketball, and baseball. So you got to be pretty busy all year round. Well, you're a pretty athletic guy playing three sports. I mean, what led you to focus specifically on football? Where, when did you realize that that's where your talent was? Um, probably my junior year, maybe senior year. Football, I was playing center, and not too many 6'5 kids come out of high school to play center and in college. And baseball was one of those those seasons where you just want to be outside with your buddies and you know play baseball on the weekend. So that's what we kind of did. And uh, we had a good time and had a lot of fun. What was the interest level from recruiters? Did you have several schools that were interested in you when you were your senior? Yeah, being that uh, small of town, you don't get a whole lot of the, uh, the Big Ten schools to come in. Most of my schools that were recruiting me were from the MAC. And so when Illinois came in on me late, I was really intrigued and didn't really know much about Illinois. But uh, Randy Rogers, the old head coach of University of Evansville, they had just uh, disbanded their football team. And he went to Illinois as a recruiting coordinator and wanted to get some kids in southwest Indiana to Illinois. That's how I went there. That's how Kevin Hardy went there and some other kids around the city. What was the landscape of Illini football at that time? I mean, what did the teams kind of look like when you entered? Well, John McEvick had just gotten there a couple years earlier, and Jeff George transferred from Purdue to Illinois for two years, and he left the year I got there. So we were trying to rebuild it a little bit, but uh, they always had some great defensive players. Uh, you know, I came in with you know Dana Howard, John Holosek, Simeon Rice. Never really got the offense going, but my senior year we were eight and four, and so it was it was a fun group to play with, and uh, it was a great time. Well, you were redshirted as a freshman, and then you spent four seasons, three of them as a starter. Uh, how did that kind of get you ready for your career in the NFL? The last two years that uh, I played at Illinois, we had Greg Landry come in as a offensive coordinator. Greg ran a very multifaceted offense, kind of an NFL offense, which kind of got me ready for the NFL. What's your favorite memory when you look back at those, those years? What stands out to you? You know, being there for five years, there's a lot of great memories, a lot of great uh, teammates that uh, I went through five years with. It's kind of hard to say that one kind of stands out. You know, going into a, a Penn State game where they're ranked number one in the country and we're not even ranked. We kind of uh, had a great first half and lose them by three points was a thrill. And of course, winning your last uh, last game in your senior year in the bowl game down in Memphis in the Liberty was also a thrill. 
Man, you had some pretty big catches in that Penn State game. I, when I YouTube your name, that's the first thing that pops up <laughs> is that Penn State game. Not not anything you did in the pros, yeah. it's that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great game for me. Uh, I think I had six or seven catches and, and some big uh, catches, kind of think right before the half or in the uh, fourth quarter. So, you know, Penn State was one of those great offenses that year. Their defense was, was solid as well, but uh, they could put up some points, and we knew we had to score a lot of points against them. As you finished your senior year, uh, what was your mindset about the upcoming NFL draft? What were your expectations? You know, as, as a senior coming out, you really don't have a whole lot of expectations except just to get drafted as high as you can and go to a team that kind of fits what you want to do in the NFL. You know, I wasn't a great receiving tight end, pretty good blocker, uh, but I did catch, you know, 48 balls my senior year. So I just wanted to go to a city where they used the tight end and uh, luckily Indianapolis drafted me in the second round. What's it like playing for the hometown team? I mean, I know you're you're real south in Indiana, but that's still the hometown team. Is it cool to plant roots where you grew up? Yeah, it was. You know, Indy's probably two and a half hours north from where I'm from, being in Champaign, which is two hours west. My wife's from Chicago, which is, you know, two and a half, three hours northwest. So it was just a great fit for me. I hadn't really spent a whole lot of time in Indianapolis, but uh, we quickly settled roots here and uh, we've been here ever since. What was draft day like for you? Did you spend it at home or did you head to New York City? <laughs> uh, I spent it at home with my family down in Southern Indiana. They did it so differently back then that they maybe had two hours on ESPN until they went to ESPN2. And I got drafted right in between the uh, switch from ESPN to ESPN2 and wasn't a whole lot of coverage on me, but uh, <laughs> it was still fun. Celebrated with the family and then went to Indianapolis the next day. Is there a little bit of party in that night? And then it's like, oh, wait, this is the task at hand. This is what I got to do. <laughs> yeah, of course, you always want to celebrate uh, with your family and friends when you get drafted. But, you know, the next day I had to be in some type of shape to uh, go up to Indianapolis and meet the uh, the coaches and uh, the media. And what was that kind of like, heading up to the city and getting a feel for the team and what you're going into? I mean, it was, sure was different. You know, I had never been into a NFL complex before, so that was fun. Got to meet the coaches, got to meet all the media, and they're asking you all these questions about, you know, the team and what you want to do next year for them and all that stuff. So it was just, uh, it was a little bit overwhelming, but you um, kind of adjust as quickly as you can. And because I think that next week we started offseason practice. You were taken uh, after three other tight ends in that draft, Kyle Brady, Mark Bruner, and Christian Furia. What is it like to sit there and watch those players get picked before you? I mean, does that just light a flame? Well, you know, in the, in the preseason rankings before the draft, you know, they kind of rank all the players. Uh, and I was kind of at third to fifth tight end ranking. So I knew I was going to go somewhere in the second or third round. So, you know, as soon as, as, soon as those guys went off, I knew that uh, I was going to be called somewhere in the next couple of slots. So it was just... It was good to see him go, and uh, I'm, I'm just excited to be a drafter where I was back then. Your first season with Indianapolis, you come in and you have significant contributions, and then all of a sudden the team is in the AFC Championship against Pittsburgh. What was it like at the start of your career to have a nice little playout run, only to have it end in disappointment? Yeah, it was a, it was a season that uh, you know, I wasn't a starter beginning of the season, then after the fourth game, Right before our bye week, I was announced that the starter was getting cut and I was going to be the starter uh, for the rest of the season. So you just kind of take it uh, week by week and had some big victories at the end of the season to get us into the playoffs. And uh, we went, went out to San Diego and, and beat them without Marshall Falk. And Zach Crockett had a great game. Then we go into Kansas City and, and beat them in a 
cold, cold game, about 15 below zero, and then going to Pittsburgh. And, you know, we had a lot of chances in Pittsburgh. We just didn't make a couple plays there at the end, especially the Hail Mary that rolled off of uh, Aaron Bailey's chest. And, you know, it was one of those games that uh, you look back on now and saying that we were so close because sometimes you just never get back. And, you know, it took me, what, another seven years to get back to the Super Bowl. You mentioned Marshall Falk. What's it like blocking for a dynamic running back like that, that not only can run the ball well, but he can catch and get outside quick for those short out passes? Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. You know, now he's a Hall of Famer, and you knew back then that uh, he was going to be a great talent for the rest of his career. And you know, look what he did in St. Louis to help them get to a, a Super Bowl as well. So you know, it's fun. You know, you play with a lot of great players uh, on offense. You know, Peyton Manning came in, uh, Marvin Harrison, Reggie, uh, Reggie Wayne, Edron James was another great running back I blocked for us. So they're just fun to play with because you know they're going to do well if you block well. I'm going to get to Peyton Manning in a moment, but first, uh, you you caught some passes from another quarterback that's become kind of legendary more in the college football scene these days. What was it like playing with Jim Harborough and, and being in the huddle with him? Is he as intense as he is a player, as he is a coach? Yeah, he was intense. He was intense in the huddle, great competitor on the field, and great to be a part of what he uh, what he did here for Indianapolis. This was long before the khaki pants, right? The khaki pants weren't around too much back then? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Well, you go from John Harbaugh to uh, Peyton Manning within a couple seasons. Uh, what is it like to play with somebody with that much potential? Yeah, I mean, you saw it early. You saw what he did in Tennessee in college for four years, and he comes into the pros and just kind of picks up where he le- left off in Tennessee, and you knew that uh, he was going to kind of rebuild this this Colts team around this offense, and you know, he struggled his first year, but after that, you knew that uh, he was going to get things corrected, and he did, and you know, he took off from there. And what was it like to not only play with him, but watch him blossom into that quarterback? You know, you kind of see what he did the first year, made the transition to a better quarterback, better thrower, just a, a field general on the field that, you know, he could call his own plays, you know, after three or four years and get us out of a, a bad play and get into a, a good play. And, you know, what he studied, what he did on the field and practice kind of carried over to the game and he made everybody better. Well, one of your top moments came in 2001 when you hurled a 39-yard pass to Marvin Harrison against <laughs> the New York Jets. Uh, the form was amazing, but uh, was that a play that you worked on in practice? Can you take me through a little bit of that? Yeah, we actually worked on it uh, the whole season. Uh, we worked on it every Friday for you know five or ten minutes, and uh, it was just one of those things that I was in the backfield, and Peyton would throw it to me, and Marvin would run just a corner out. And uh, if you watch that video, Peyton kind of threw me a low ball, and I had a really bend down to get it. Luckily, I, I threw a great pass to Marvin. And he made a great catch and got into the end zone. And I still hear a lot about that because I know some people that year won their fantasy football uh, games because of that throw. <laughs> is, is that one of those things where, does that harken back to your time as a quarterback in high school? You know, the throwing motion never really goes away, but, you know, we practice it for 16 or 17 weeks and it finally comes to to the game that uh, Sunday afternoon and you just hope for the best. And, you know, it wasn't a great throw from Peyton, but uh, we worked that out and I just kind of saw Marvin getting open. I just kind of threw it to a place where he can go get it and it worked. Your final year in Indianapolis in 2001 was particularly not so memorable, uh, except for Jim Moore's now famous playoffs. Talking about playoffs? Uh, how did you and the team react overseeing that over and over and over again that season? Well, you really don't uh, think about it at the, at the time it happened, or the moment it happened. You know, later on that night, the next week, you hear on the ESPN when the announcers talk about Jim Moore and what he said after the game about the playoffs and you leave that year, and actually when I went to Tampa, people still asked me about it and how Mora was and what he did on that uh, that Sunday afternoon because of, of what he said there. But uh, yeah, those 
it seemed like the ESPN announcers loved Jim Moore and his quotes. Even when he was in New Orleans, he had some famous quotes. What was it about Tampa Bay that proved to be an enticing landing spot after your time in Indianapolis? You know, it was just something different. You know, it was warm weather. It was outside. It was the NFC South. I think that year this when they redid the alignment of all the uh, divisions. So we were playing different teams, different cities, different stadiums. So it was just, it was fun. You know, I really enjoyed my visit with Gruden and, and Tampa down there. They had some great pieces on defense put together by Coach Dungy. And uh, they were getting some pieces on offense, too. They signed uh, myself, Joe Jurevicius, Keenan McCardell, all came in to help this offense. And it was just a fun group to be around. You mentioned going from a dome to outside. What was that transition like? Because the RCA Dome, I mean, domes have a reputation of being kind of a tough place to play. So what was that transition like going from that to a nice, warm, sunny Tampa? You know, it was a little bit different. It goes from the artificial turf to the real grass. And, you know, we've always played, you know, four or five games a year on the the real grass because you had Miami uh, had grass back then. The Raiders had grass, uh, Chicago. So it really wasn't that big of a change. It's just mostly the heat. You know, it got hot in Tampa all summer long. The workouts were a little bit different. Was it tough to transition from Jim Moore to, to Coach Gruden? Because they're, they're a little bit different in the way they coach and how they present themselves. You know, not really. I mean, you work with Gruden in the off season and in the meeting rooms, you know, to get the game plan and all that stuff. Most of the time you're dealing with your your tight end coach or your position coach and you interact with him on a daily basis. So Gruden was mostly with the quarterbacks and he would run the team meetings, but your interactions with him were not as much as with the uh, tight ends coach. Is he a lot of a, the same as a coach as he was as a TV personality? Yeah. Um, what you saw on Monday night football, what you saw in the summertime quarterback coaching clinics that he did with ESPN it was the same thing you saw on game day and during the practice during the week. He had a great love of the game, loved to tell stories about you know the past players that he was with, and he had that enthusiasm that carried over from the practice field to the games. Well, you mentioned the receiving core. You mentioned Keyshawn and, and Keenan McCardell and Joe Jarrett-Fishes. Um, They were all dangerous and sometimes big personalities. As a member of the receiving core, I know tight ends are a little bit different, but did you did everyone seem to mesh well together in their roles as the season progressed? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, like you said, they were all big personalities and with, all with a lot of talent. You know, Keyshawn wanted the ball, Keenan wanted the ball, and Joe wanted the ball. I mean, which is great to have, but, you know, you only have one ball to spread around during the game. So a lot of those guys you know, kind of got upset a little bit with Gruden not giving them the ball. I think one year or one game that uh, Joe Drivers just called out Gruden for not throwing the ball his way. And the next game, he gets six or seven catches and, and two touchdowns. So. You know, they were all excellent wide receivers, great competitors. That's kind of what you want on your offensive team. Green Bay came in during Week 12 uh, with the best record in the NFC. Uh, How important was it to prove that you guys could hang with the best teams, not only in the NFC, but in the NFL? Well, you're going to face some of the best teams every year in the NFL, whether it's NFC or AFC, and it doesn't really matter which division they are. You just got to go out and try to win, and Green Bay is always one of those teams that competes to the top. Brett Favre coming in brings a lot of excitement. A lot of Packers fans comes to town, and we knew that uh, we had to play well and, and go out there and, and do a lot of things well on offense and defensively. Why us to stop Brett Favre and his, and his crew on offense to, uh, to get a win, and I think we did beat them that year. At what point in the season did you think this team could be on the brink of something special? Yeah, I think you kind of point to maybe the halfway point. Um, you know, the offense didn't have a great first half of the season, the first eight games. 
you know, we were just trying to get uh, used to Gruden's offense, used to the players, and the defense really carried us the first eight games of the year. So I think once we got through the eight or nine games, we kind of got used to the offense, used to the play calling. Gruden kind of figured out what we could do best. And uh, I think after that eight or ninth game was kind of when we really shined on offense. All right, now give us your best memory of the two games leading up to the Super Bowl. Let's start with the divisional game against the 49ers. What do you remember best about that game? What I remember best about that game is the controversy at the end of that uh, Giants 49ers game. I think there was something with a field goal. Uh, There should have been a penalty called on uh, San Francisco or something, but uh, everybody said we should have played the Giants that game instead of the 49ers, but... You know, I think uh, we came in that game knowing that uh, we could we could hang with the 49ers, and I think we we beat them pretty bad that that game. So then we move on to the next game. That was the game with Michael Strahan on the sideline going berserk, right? I think so. It was something about a field goal. I can't remember what actually happened there, but uh, I knew there was a lot of controversy, whether it's with a. a Long snapper or somebody getting roughed. I can't remember. It's been so long ago, but I knew watching that game that uh, there was a big controversial call at the end. And I, I think we were really happy to play the 49ers just because, you know, the Giants were a good team. They had a great defense, a very physical defense. And I think we were very happy to see uh, San Francisco come in. Well, as happy as you were to see San Fran come in, were you happy to head to Philadelphia and play the Eagles, a, a team that you had lost to early in their, earlier in the season? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a lot of history between the Eagles and the uh, the Bucks and the uh, and the in the playoffs. We went there early in the season, didn't play a great game, and you know once we get to the uh, NFC Championship game, they talked about how we hadn't won there in many years, how we hadn't won a uh, a cold game under the 30 degrees. So there was a lot of issues with the perception of what the Bucks can do in Philadelphia. And, you know, I think that week we had a great week of practice. We were very focused because we knew we had to go out there into uh, Philadelphia and play a great game to beat them at home. As a team, do you guys, do you hear the outside saying they can't win under 40 degrees, they can't win under 40 degrees? Is that something that sticks and, and kind of goes on the blackboard as material, or is it something you just you oh, don't course. focus on? Oh, of course. I mean, you, you, read the, you read the newspapers and you see it on ESPN and, uh, the local media talks about it. Hey, you hadn't guys hadn't beat a team under, you know, I think it was 33 degrees or wherever it was. But, you know, a lot, a lot of things had changed when we came in that year. You know, I'd played in cold weather in college and some with the Colts and uh, Joe Jervish did the same thing, Kenny McCardell. So we knew we had some players that could hopefully turn turn the tie with this offense and score some points in Philadelphia. And, you know, Joe Jervish, as I saw some of his highlights last week on a, on a long play he caught, to set up a, uh, I think, a Mike Allstott touchdown. So it was just a great group of guys to play with, and going into Philadelphia was the highlight of my career so far that year. And do you have one memory that sticks out in that game? You know, I think that played with Joe Jurevicius uh, down the sideline where I, uh, I blocked a, a DB to get him about to the five-yard line. You know, that play, and, and of course, the uh, Ronnie Barber interception probably you know, four or five minutes left in the uh, the fourth quarter to kind of seal that victory because they were driving they were they had a good team and we knew we had to play well on defense to to do that and Ronnie Barber picked them off um and that whole stadium went quiet what was the experience of heading to San Diego in preparation for the Super Bowl what was that whole experience like you know it's a lot different than what they do now I think we might have been the last team that went straight from the NFC championship game to the uh, Super Bowl so we flew back to Tampa that night had a little um, celebration at the stadium, and that next morning we flew out to San Diego. So we didn't have a whole week off to recover, recoup, and kind of get ready for the Super Bowl. So we went out there, you know, to, to uh, San Diego Monday morning, 
and had that uh, the next day off and kind of got prepped for the Super Bowl. And, you know, it was, uh, we were out, uh, out in, uh, I think, Del Mar. So we were away from all the, the hoopla of the Super Bowl area. You know, I think uh, the Raiders took over the San Diego Chargers, which is a little bit closer to downtown. And most of the players there probably had, you know, closer to the activities. We didn't have, I think we were probably a good 45 minutes from, from the downtown area. So a lot of players just kind of hung around and, and didn't do a whole lot. So I think that kind of prepped us for a quiet week. We had a great week of practice and it showed in the game on Sunday. Does that work out better, not having all the hoopla and being downtown where all the restaurants and bars and all that stuff is to just kind of get away from all the fans and be a little bit out of the the, the center stage? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you try to make that week as normal as possible. Of course, you don't have your, your home surroundings of a weight room and locker room and, and all that good stuff, but you make do with that. But, you know, there wasn't many outside distractions. You know, you get through practice, which is a little bit lighter that week, go back to the hotel and kind of relax and uh, get ready for that Sunday game. So, it was, it was a little bit different, but I think we had a, a more focused attitude uh, going into that game. Was media day as big of a circus back then as it is today? And, and what was that whole thing kind of like? Um, I don't think it was as a big of a circus back then as it is today. A lot of the social media wasn't around back then. Uh, a lot of the cell phones that people cover those events with weren't around. And, you know, so I think we had, you know, just one day at the stadium with some media and maybe some stuff at back of the hotel, but that was it. Not the stuff you see nowadays just because of all the media outlets are probably tripled from what they had back then. You had one catch for 12 yards in the Super Bowl. Is that something that's burned in your memory? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I wish I would have scored on that, uh, on that play from Brad Johnson. And, and Gruden still reminds me every time I see him that I didn't get in the end zone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that game kind of started out on defense. The interceptions, the, uh, the touchdowns by the defense kind of gave us a cushion. And uh, all we had to do was kind of go out there and not lose the game on, on offense with, you know, interceptions and turnovers. And I remember Mike Pittman had a great game that game on the running field um, to, uh, to lead the way. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fun time to be out there. And, and what a great victory. For you, did you have family and friends in the stands? I mean, did you have a nice little crew that came, came to San Diego to root you on? Yeah, you know, I think every player got about 16 tickets, and uh, I had some family and friends come out to uh, San Diego and spent, you know, three or four days there. So it was fun to uh, win the Super Bowl in front of your family and friends and, and have that living memory for everything. And what were the final seconds like as it, as it kind of ticked off the clock, and, and how did you celebrate immediately afterwards? Um, it was a little bit of chaotic just because on the sideline, you know, we were up so far that people knew we were going to win, but still we had to go out there and play a little bit of offense, a little bit of defense. I think there was a couple of punt situations we had to be in. And so the whole sideline, you had probably an extra 50 or 60 people come out into the field. And so you still had to be aware of what had to be done to finish off that game. And uh, once that happened, it was just unbelievable celebration. Is it almost harder in a big game like that to sit on a heavy lead than to be close and battling it out at the end? You know, that's a tough question. Uh, the way our defense played, all we had to do was just go out there and run the clock down. And, you know, I think we did have maybe interception at, uh, in the second half to give them a, a quick seven points. But, you know, we had a great group of veterans on that team. We had a great running game with Pittman and Allstott. And we knew that if we just go out there and play and compete, that we can uh, move the ball down the field on this Raiders defense and take up a lot of points and take up a lot of time. And uh, we didn't really have to score too many points in the second half, but it was just one of those games where all you have to do is manage the game. What was it like playing in front of Mike Allstott? I mean, you had Marshall Falk in Indianapolis, who's a much different running back than, than big old Mike Stott. What was it like playing in front of him? Oh, it was fun. You know, Mike kind of ran over people and Marshall Falk kind of ran around people, but uh, he was just a bruiser. 
great guy to be around, great competitor. You know, all these guys who I've played with, they kind of stick out in my mind, are great competitors on the field. What's it like to bring the first Super Bowl to a city uh, like Tampa that had an extended history and just had never gotten over the hump? Yeah, it was fun. You know, there's a lot of teams out there that uh, haven't won, and to be part of something first for a city and a franchise was uh, outstanding. Um, you know, we still talk about it today, still keep in touch with a lot of those guys, and still bring up memories that uh, happened that year and certain situations and certain plays that stick out in our minds, <clears throat> and that was, you know, what, 18, 20 years ago. Do you have any standout locker room memories uh, following the Super Bowl win? I mean, who was kind of leading the celebration train on that one? Yeah, you know, the Super Bowl there was a little bit different. All the celebrations on the field. And so when you leave the stadium, they pull you out to do some media in these little uh, in these little tents outside of San Diego Stadium. And so when you're done with all your media, you go back in the locker room and nobody is really there. They're out, you know, doing all this media stuff that, you know, there was no champagne flowing. There was no, you know, beer being tossed around. So in the, in the locker room, everybody's being quiet. Everybody's changing and everybody's getting showered up to go to the bus back to the hotel. It seems like it's like the complete opposite these days. You know, it's, it's like a full on party as soon as they get back into the locker room. Yeah. You know, it's not like the NBA championship or the, uh, the baseball world series where, celebrations in the locker room, the celebration for the footballs on the field, just because you have so many players uh, in the trophies on the field. And so you, when, you, when you go back to the locker room, it's just kind of quiet and everybody's getting ready to go back to the bus. And what was the flight back to Tampa like? I mean, are you guys rowdy or are you all just trying to catch some sleep because you know it's the calm before the storm? Well, you know, you, you celebrate at the uh, team hotel up until, you know, the wee hours in the morning, then you kind of get on the bus mid-afternoon and uh, make that flight back to uh, Tampa. And that's probably a good, I don't know, four and a half, a five-hour flight. So it was it was a long flight. I'm sure a lot of guys slept, but uh, it was just anxious to get home and, and see the family and friends. How was the parade and, and what was that experience like for you? You know, the parade was fun. Uh, I, I still see some pictures on the internet every once in a while of the, of the parade. And, you know, Tampa's got some great fans. They still do. And, and to celebrate a, a Super Bowl with those fans down there, it was fun. Um, you know, I'm sure it's a little bit different nowadays with the rowdiness of the fans and the, and the, and the social media and all those videos being posted. But, uh, you know, Tampa Bay's got some great fans, and it was just fun to be in front of them. Uh, what have you been doing with life after football? Have you been spending time post-NFL? Uh, I've got two kids. Uh, one's in college at IU and one's a senior here at Carmel High School. And, uh, and I work as a, a senior mortgage broker for a company called Milestone Home Lending. And my wife and I will be married 25 years this year and uh, looking forward to getting both kids into college and one out of college in another year and a half. And, and just, uh, you know, we're just living life. Speaking of your wife, uh, the internet tells me that she makes really good banana bread. <laughs> Can you confirm this? Well, yeah, funny you said that because I was out making the delivery to her to FedEx uh, before I came on here. So yeah, she makes a really good banana bread. She sells it. Uh, November and December are the, uh, the kind of the busiest times of the year because of the holidays. I think we made you know 20 or 30 trips to FedEx for people who wanted to ship it across the country for family and friends just because nobody could get together this year. So you go from Super Bowl winning tight end to banana bread delivery guy. I like it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, I got one more for you. Um, where do you currently keep your championship ring, and does it ever see your finger? 
Yeah, I bring it out a couple times a year. Uh, it's in one of my drawers with all my my college uh, bowl rings and my Big Ten championship rings. So yeah, I bring it out. You know, I, I do a couple speaking events a year. You know, I always wear it out to the uh, the taste of the NFL, which is no longer around. I think uh, they stopped it this year. But uh, you know, there's always certain events around this time of year that people want you to wear it. But it's kind of too big and gaudy to wear on a, on a daily basis when you're shaking hands and writing. So I bring it out a couple of times a year. Well, thanks, Ken. I appreciate it for uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to I One Two. This podcast is produced by Ed Miller and me, Max Morgan of Malix Media. I One Two is available wherever podcasts are found please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. You can find us on Instagram at I12podcast. Until next time.